Sir. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Where there is a beginning, there is an end. At least we normally believe that, which has always caused me to wonder about that song that says that world without end, amen. World without end, Well, Jesus said that he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And he talks in the book of Revelation, the revelation about himself, about the beginning and the end. He was the beginning and he was the end. But what does the end look like? And if the beginning was grand with the creation of all things and the Spirit of the Lord moving upon the waters... And God spoke, and all of those things happened. Can you just imagine what the end will be like? It'll be like the last act of a play, right? The grand finale. So that's exactly what we're going to be talking about here today on Viewpoint, God's grand finale. And you're not going to want to miss a moment of today's conversation. The Bible, the last book, we're carried to an apocalyptic intersection where crisis all meet in a global head-on collision, a tale of depravity, devils, and destruction. But it is the future that's foretold. But beyond all the prophecies of the book of Revelation, the unveiling is more than anything else a book about God. In fact, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So as we have uh, often said here on this program, We use the word apocalyptic wrongly, usually. It's generally used to refer to something horrible, something so catastrophic. But in reality, it really means the unveiling, the revelation. That's why it's called the book of Revelation. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's called the unveiling of Jesus Christ, and that's why I wrote the book, the Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages. But today we have a special guest joining us, Jeff Kinley, with his book, God's Grand Finale. It has to do with wrath and grace and glory in the last days of this planet. And so today on Viewpoint, I want to welcome you aboard. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And if indeed the book of Revelation is about a revelation of Jesus Christ. There must be something about understanding Jesus, who he is, who he, why he was sent from the Father, what his final, shall we say, role is on this planet and in the uh, panoply of God's purposes for human history. There must be something else that we need to understand. And that's what we're going to unveil here on Viewpoint today with our special guest, uh, Jeff Kinley. Uh, Jeff, you are such a prolific author. I think that uh, you started writing when you're, what, five, six years old? (laughs) 
Well, I'm, I, uh, you know, I used to say that uh, old, old people were people who were 40 years old, but uh, once I get, <laughs> got way past that, it moved. Uh, moved well, 40 the new 30. <laughs> That's right. And 60 is the new 40. Come on, get exactly. with it, man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I started writing as a youth pastor and, and just, you know, you know, loved to do it, loved communicating through writing. And so, anyway, just continue to write books as the Lord allows me to. Okay. Well, uh, do you have a family? I do have uh, three grown sons. Uh, one of them, uh, uh, like you, is a, or was, is an attorney, and, mm-hmm. uh, and so he's uh, doing the attorney work and doing. He's my attorney now, which is great <laughs> to have that in the family. Sure, but yeah, three grown sons, five grandchildren, and have been married for forty-one years. So, great well, good for you. Well, it was in 1992 that the Lord spoke to my heart right there in my law office in Pasadena, California, say, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause of the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, America's greatest crisis hour. Right here on the near edge of the summit, second coming, I said, yes, sir. And uh, at the height of my practice, uh, shocking everybody in Southern California, I'd run twice for the state legislature. I was a volunteer pastor in one of the largest uh, churches in Southern California. I was up to my eyeballs in ministry and all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, everything was turned upside down. And here we are, 28 and a half years, uh, pleading the ultimate cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers, particularly the body of Christ in this country and all over the world. So, uh, believe it or not, uh, our conversation today not only airs across uh, America, but according to uh, one major podcast site that carries our program, they told us that uh, last month the program actually was heard, not available to be heard, but actually heard in 180 countries. So uh, that's encouraging. We're getting the message out, and that means that our conversation here today will echo all across the world. Now, you talk about uh, three different kinds of of revelation, the book of Revelation, but three different kinds of revelation. Can you uh, give us just a quick thumbnail sketch of what those look like? Well, God has revealed himself in in many different ways uh, throughout history. He's revealed himself, obviously, through uh, through written revelation. He's revealed himself through verbal revelation, and he's also revealed himself through uh, supernatural revelation as well. Uh, We've got the creation that uh, God has given us uh, in the sky that we see and the earth, all the the nations Mm -hmm. and the uh, universe around us, Uh, but then he also gave us his word, and then, of course, ultimately through Jesus Christ is the the ultimate uh, the expression of the inexpressible God is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, Hebrews 1 tells us. So, yeah, God has gone overboard in trying to help us understand who he is. Well, some people would say, well, you know what, Uh, uh, Jesus Christ was the ultimate revelation of the Father. Uh, He was the incarnation of the Father. Uh, He was the living Torah or the living word. And so we don't need any more progressive revelation. We don't need anything further out there. We don't need uh, God to move by his spirit upon any man, woman today uh, to help us to better understand what's going on here. Uh, that kind of negates uh, your, all of your book writing, doesn't it? <laughs> well, my, my books are not direct revelation, but they're commentary on the, re- the revealed word of God. Sure. His direct revelation. So. I hope it's faithful to the truth, to the text. That's my goal anyway. Well, if I didn't think that it was, uh, in certainly in basic uh, format, uh, I wouldn't even bring you here on the air. 
because uh, when I bring a guest on the air here today, it's for the purpose of helping to flesh out or make clearer, more real uh, issues, understanding uh, for our listeners, for people who profess the name of Christ, because God does not want us to walk in ignorance, does he? That's right, and, and that's essentially what a good pastor does. He exposits the Word that's already been re- already been revealed and written and uh, helps explain it in a language that people can understand. That's usually the goal. It, when I take on a book project, Chuck, what I try to do is to study the Scripture as faithfully as I know how to and then put that in a form that I think will be uh, not just palatable from a reading standpoint, but also uh, one that really engages the Spirit and helps them uh, engage with the text of Scripture. Well, you've done a wonderful job here, as I told you before the program. I'm thrilled to be able to have you join us here on the program today. God's grand finale, friends. You're going to want to hear the rest of the program today. We'll make the book available to you after this break. Stay tuned. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. So good to have you on board, my friends, as we talk today about God's grand finale. The grand finale. Everybody wants a grand finale to a story, uh, to a movie, and so on. And uh, we're on the edge of our seats with regard to God's grand finale. We know about the book of Revelation, but we don't know much in the book of Revelation or the impact of... reality and purpose of the book of Revelation, other than to be mysterious and uh, to make us uh, quiver in our boots, so to speak. But there's much more to it. And hopefully that's what's going to come out here today on Viewpoint. Uh, Our guest today, uh, Jeff Kinley, asked the question, so why did God end his written word with a book on the future prophetic events? Because he has unfinished business to attend to unfinished business now what kind of unfinished business what that might that be well here's what he says he has a bride to rescue a people to redeem a planet to punish a nation to restore and the story isn't over there's coming a climatic season ending episode a closing act a grand finale i like that jeff yeah, it really is. This God, uh, I think he, he concluded with this uh, great crescendo of Scripture to uh, end it on a, on a note that really gets our attention. You know, I, sometimes people can kind of get lulled to sleep they, going through the Bible, and, you know, they, they, by their own admission, get bored with it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But God keeps it interesting. And, you know, he had one final book to write, and I'm, I'm sure within the, the Godhead, the Trinity, you know, in the, that divine council thinking about what's the last word we're going to give them. Uh, before, you know, the end comes. And so he, he wrote a book, penned a book that was 95% prophecy. So 
if it if it was God's last word, then it certainly should be something we should look at and pay attention. Well, it's interesting because he had to get the Apostle John out from all other influences and exile him to an island in order to get this uh, message across to him without compromise. Well, that's true, and, and tradition, uh, scripture tradition, not scripture tradition, but uh, church tradition tells us uh, that John was under persecution uh, under the uh, the Emperor Domitian and mm-hmm. his. His style, if you will, was to banish people, and so John got banished to this lonely uh, desert uh, island of Patmos, kind of like the Alcatraz of the first century. <laughs> so, uh, have you ever seen Alcatraz, by the way? I have, yes. I sure have. Wow. Not from the inside, though, right? No, not, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's hope that never happens. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating story, uh, you know, Chuck, because here's this lonely old apostle. He's probably in his 90s at this time, and mm-hmm. and yet Jesus wants to give him this one last revelation. I think it was in some ways shocking to John, in some ways comforting, uh, but very, very obviously revelatory uh, for both him and us as well. Well, some people would say, theologians argue, that, well, he wasn't really writing about the future times. He was just uh, metaphorically uh, referring to what was going on in Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, there's an approach to Revelation, really to all of Scripture, that really takes it more symbolic and uh, metaphorically and that type of thing. And I think as we look at previous prophecies, like the prophecies of Christ's first coming, uh, they were not fulfilled symbolically or metaphorically, but all literally mm-hmm. and exactly as prophesied. And so as we go into Revelation, certainly there is there is symbolism there, and there's uh, some bizarre language, to be sure. Uh, but we look at history, we haven't really found anything in history that correlates uh, to the events and to the specific judgments of Revelation. So that is one evidence that tells us, I think, Chuck, that we're still looking at a future fulfillment of this book. Oh, I'm convinced that that is true. And and you actually use a term that has come into the fore in American parlance in the last four or five years, the word uh, fake news. You actually find that there was fake news going on even concerning the coming of Christ, and the Apostle Paul had to deal with it in Second Thessalonians. Tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really fascinating. You know, I think Paul, he planted this church at Thessalonica. He was only with them just a few weeks. But while he was with them, he covered eschatology. He covered this doctrine of future things. He told them about the Antichrist, about the abomination of desolation. He told them about the, the coming of the Lord, all these things. Mm-hmm. And yet when Paul left, in comes these other guys, these, these false teachers that came in and said, hey, I, I've got a vision, I've got a word from the Lord, I've got a letter that's supposedly written by Paul that he signed. And, and, and what Paul's saying now is, you're in the day of the Lord. You're yep. in the tribulation. So Paul had to write Second Thessalonians to correct that fake news. And, you know, it just goes to show that the devil's always been about lying. Uh, Jesus called him the father of lies in John eight forty four, and so... He snuck into the church through these false teachers and tried to confuse these believers. In fact, it did confuse them. Uh, Paul says in Second Thess 2, 1, that your faith has been disturbed, that you're shaken uh, in your faith. And so Paul had to give them direct, uh, correct revelation and good doctrine uh, to kind of settle their spirits and get their minds set on track again. Well, these fake newsmakers were actually contending that uh, Christ had already come, that those things are already fulfilled. So don't worry, don't worry about it. It's just business as usual. Yeah, absolutely. And so they, they were scared because they were actually going through persecution. And so they thought, well, well, maybe we are in the day of the Lord. And so 
they were very confused about the order of events and just what would happen to them. And, and that's the great comfort about the word of the Lord. You know, Paul says after he talks about the return of the Lord, he says, therefore be comforted with these words. And so mm-hmm. we obviously want to take comfort from it. I usually tell people, Chuck, that if you study Bible prophecy and you end up being scared, then you've understood it wrongly. Uh, that it was always meant to challenge us, but it was also meant to comfort us as well. So well, we if you don't have, if you're way. not living in the fear of the Lord, you will be scared. You'll either be afraid, you'll either fear God or fear man. One way or the other, there is no in-between. Yeah, and especially for people who don't know Christ, uh, I think there is a fear factor there. That, yeah. that is legit, because, uh, you know, there is a, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God and and yet for believers, we know that Christ has paid for our sin. Uh, so we're, you know, we're comforted by that. No condemnation there. Uh, but, uh, but understanding the, the blessed hope of, of Christ's return, the, the second coming. I mean, there's so many good things. Heaven. I mean, Revelation tells us about heaven, about the kingdom, all these things we have to look forward to. So yeah. we have to always get our minds back on scripture. Well, in the sixties, when I was a teenager, we used to say a chorus, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place, but I'm not sure that people quite understand that because there's an alternative to heaven and that is almost unspeakable. We don't want to talk about that. Well, that's true. And, and yet revelation talks about it uh, in, in great detail. We, we hear about this place called the lake of fire, uh, where the torment of their, of their uh, pain rises like smoke forever and ever. We see the great white throne judgment uh, in chapter 20. And, you know, again, those are sobering truths, but, I, but it's good because only a loving God would tell you the truth about what awaits you so that you can turn from your ways, come to Christ, be changed, be forgiven. Uh, and that really, to me, is, is a great act of love by telling people about what's ahead. Like, exactly. The and that's why both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter warned professing believers to sober up. And they weren't, he wasn't talking about uh, stop drinking wine or alcohol. Uh, th- that wasn't the issue. The issue was you guys are not serious about your faith. It's time to get serious. Well, it's true, and a lot of that context uh, that Peter talks about was in reference to the last days. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the first century, they believed they were in the last days. John said in First John 2.18... Well, they, they were in the last time. days. Peter said so on the day of Pentecost. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so they, they anticipated, uh, you know, the, the Lord returning at any time, and so that's why Peter said, hey, sober up, get ready, be on the alert, be watchful, be awake. Uh, because the Lord will come at a time you think he won't come. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did, though, through his uh, uh, various parables and so on? His message was, look, don't take, take things for granted. Get ready. Don't be like those five foolish virgins. Get ready. Always be ready. And uh, that's been the message of this program here for 28 and a half years. And, uh, you know... The reality, Jeff, that I experience is that the majority of Christians really don't so much want to get ready because they don't want to believe that we might be that close to the final or the grand finale. No, you're right, because, you know, Paul wrote to the Colossians, he said, set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. And we too often have our mind on things on the earth. And obviously we have to live here. God wants us to be here. But there's a there's really an issue of loyalty, of allegiance, of, of where your home 
is. Mm-hmm. And Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven. It's like, you know, when you travel abroad, it's a great place to visit. But, you know, you just want to go back home at yeah. some point, be in your own bed, your own house, your own family. And, you know, that's kind of the attitude God wants us to have about heaven, that that's our home. It's waiting on us. Jesus is preparing a place for us there. And so uh, we need to calibrate our minds uh, on what's going on in heaven and not just the things on the earth. Well, probably at least once a week, my wife uh, looks me in the eye and she says, Chuck, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Yeah, that's a great reminder. <laughs> okay, very true. Jesus in Revelation. Now, you have laid these things out, and, and I, I like the alliteration that you use. Uh, that's how I write. That's how I think. And uh, it's so organized. And I want to just read these through very quickly, and then you can pick up on whatever it is that, that you want to really focus on, because there's so much uh, in this book that we could be talking about. So you say, who is this revelation Jesus? Well, Jesus is reliable, the faithful witness, the embodiment of truth. Jesus is risen. Jesus is ruler. Jesus is redeeming. Jesus is returning. Jesus is renowned. Jesus is revealing. Jesus is righteous. He is refining. He is reproving. He's radiating. He is revered, and he is reassuring. What a great list of manifestations of the book of Revelation just from chapter 1. That's amazing. It really is. I mean, when you dive into Revelation, uh, Chuck, it, it is such a an encounter with Christ, with the risen, glorified Christ. You know, most people in the church today always think of Jesus walking around the you know around the sea of galilee and around jerusalem with sandals and a robe and you know he's just kind of like friendly jesus and that type of thing but the jesus john sees in revelation one is is traumatizing uh there's a trauma of holiness uh that rc sproul used to talk about that that you encounter with jesus christ it says his eyes are like a flame of fire his hair is like Mm -hmm. white as wool feet are like burnished bronze his voice like sound of many waters well that's the jesus we never knew well, that's right. He's, he's the unfamiliar <laughs> Jesus to the church. And and so when John sees this Jesus, he, he doesn't come up and frog him on the arm or high-five him or give him a hug. He says he falls at his feet as a dead man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just his, his central nervous system just shuts down. And, you know, there is a trauma associated with God's holiness because we're not used to really encountering that. Well, and so we want Isaiah experienced that in the year that King Isaiah died. Moses experienced it at Sinai. So did the people of Israel. They said, don't even, don't let him talk to us. He's too scary. You you talk to him, Moses. (laughs) Friends, here's a wonderful book, God's Grand Finale. It's an $18 book. Yours for $14. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. I don't think you're going to be disappointed, friends. Uh, There's only one thing in the book that I have any problem with, and uh, uh, Jeff and I have already chatted about that. There are many different opinions concerning that particular issue. We're not going to talk about that here today because it's not necessary, because there are too many different thoughts and opinions concerning it. And your opinion and my opinion are not biblical authority. 
But much of the book of Revelation has to do with God's wrath poured out through a series of catastrophic judgments. And uh, I think, Mark, just to kind of skirt on the edge of the subject that we're not going to talk about, (laughs) uh, I think it has to do with an issue of wrath. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, that we're not appointed unto wrath. And he's talking about God's wrath. We're not appointed unto wrath. But let me ask you a question, Jeff. Are there people in Iran professing Christians that are under the wrath and receiving the wrath of the of Khomeini and the uh, Muslim Empire there? Absolutely. Christians for 2,000 years have suffered under man's wrath and will continue to. Aren't we having Christians in this country suffering under man's wrath because they don't want to hear the truth of the gospel concerning various aspects of creation, uh, marriage, divorce, remarriage, uh, sexual behavior, all of these things? The wrath of man through government is being poured out on on, uh, Christians today, even through our legal system, isn't it? I think we're definitely suffering under a pagan government. All right. Now that we've dealt with that, we move further. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. The final upshot of our final words there in the last segment of the of the uh, program is: Look, fear God. And don't fear man. Fear God and don't fear man. Because the fear of man is a snare. That's why you and I must be prepared to endure to the end. Jesus warned about it. He said, get ready. Persecution is coming. And it's not coming from God. It's coming from man. So you're going to be appointed unto that kind of wrath from man. But you and I, if we're true followers of Jesus Christ, are not appointed to the wrath of God that will be poured out on the children of disobedience. In other words, who dis God's word. Now, that puts things in a very difficult position, Jeff, because for the past five years on this program, I have had numerous pastors and parachurch leaders who have admitted that the most hated word in the church today is the word obey. What do you think? Hmm. Well, it certainly does run contrary to the sin nature uh, that we have within us. You know, Scripture talks about the old man, the flesh, 
and obeying God is the last thing that the flesh wants to do. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's a it's a theme throughout the New Testament. But all the more reason why a book like Revelation says that there's a blessing that comes to those who read, who hear, and who heed or obey the prophecies of this book. All right. So now you Revelation you mentioned. Begins. Hold on. You mentioned three things. Let's reiterate those. The blessing comes to those who what? It says those who hear the words of the prophecy, which presupposes mm-hmm. that the book would have been read in the churches. And I wonder how many churches um, uh, hear it today. Right. Uh, it says he who reads the, the prophecy. So that presupposes that, that the letter would be passed around eventually for Christians to read. And then finally, those who heed the things which are written in it. In other words, so it's another that. way of saying those who obey God. Right, yes, and specifically in this book, yeah. Okay, so that brings us to some letters. Uh, Jesus, through John, sent some letters to the the, uh, seven churches of Asia in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. And uh, one day, I was asked to speak to a group of men on a Saturday morning at a church, And uh, I thought, you know, what a perfect time. I had 30 minutes, and I was going to talk about the then-time church, the now-time church, and the end-time church, and I was going to frame it around these seven letters, just in a kind of a summary fashion. Within five minutes, they began to catcall me. They didn't call me a cat, but they began to mock. And with every minute that passed, the mocking increased. When we got to the end, with not a single affirmative face or gesture or whatever, a man came up to me and identified himself as the pastor. He had been there the whole time. And he said, Mr. Christmas, I just thought I should explain to you why my men attacked you and mocked the way they did. Here's what he said. We don't want people to be afraid of God. We just want them to love Jesus so we don't talk about anything related to the end times. Wouldn't you say that that's a major part of our problem in the churches? They're not being prepared? Well, absolutely, and that's exactly why Jesus wrote those seven letters. I mean, in fact, to the, to the church there in Sardis, he said, wake up and strengthen the things which are which that, that remain. And that was one of the problems of the church then is that they had fallen asleep, they had become lethargic, uh, they had drifted from doctrine, uh, and so Christ came and with five of these seven churches. He, he delivered an excoriating rebuke, uh, and he threatened to make war with his own church. They didn't <laughs> so, uh, Pretty blatant stuff, isn't it? You know, it is. It's, it's fairly just in-your-face, really raw, but you know what? If, if someone that you love very, very much is about to go off the end of a cliff, you'll, you'll yell anything at them. You'll do anything to prevent them from, from going into destruction. And so Jesus had to use some pretty firm uh, rebuking language to his own bride yeah, uh, to well, try to get her back to himself. To Ephesus, he said, you lost that loving feeling. What in the world has happened? You say you love me, but you never know it by the way you're behaving and acting. He goes on to... Uh, talk to the church of Smyrna, and he says, you're going to suffer a lot, and you better be prepared to suffer uh, for your faith. 
He goes on to continue to the other churches. He gets to Pergamum. He, that's the compromising church. All of these sounded awful lot like the church today. Wouldn't you say? Yes, I, I would agree with that. I think that it really does. It's indicative of where the church is today. Each of these churches. Oh, yeah. You find churches like this today. And, and that's I think that's one of the reasons why Revelation is such a relevant message to today. Because oh, it's hyper-relevant. Application. Maybe yeah, that's the reason why we don't like to read it. It's hyper-relevant. <laughs> well, I think so. I, it really it kind of messes with you know. It's like we used to joke in the church, like God's reading your mail. You know, it's like He's right down in your business. You know, and so that's exactly what. Well, how about that church at Thyatira? You call it the Tolerant Church. Uh, that's a kind word, a way to put it. Uh, God might have called it just the wicked church, uh, ruled by Jezebel. And uh, they were putting up with all kinds of sin, very much like what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what was going on in the Corinthian church concerning their sexual behavior. He said, there's stuff going on in your congregation, the likes of which you can't even see in the pagan world. What's wrong with you people? You've got to get rid of that sin among you. Well, Jesus said exactly the same thing to uh, the church at Thyatira, and it got even worse. He said, look, you don't, if you don't repent, I'm going I'm to throw you into a bed. It, it's going to be a terrible thing. I'm going to destroy your kids. Yeah, it's, 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 it was, they hijacked the whole, the whole idea of tolerance, which is a Christian virtue. But they perverted that as yes, people are perverting exactly. it today. And so Christ said, hey, you need to get back to a strong stance on doctrine, on behavior, and uh, and quit quit trying to um, to know the deep things of Satan. Uh, so he gave a warning to him. He says, I, I want you to overcome. I, I want you to, to uh, get beyond this and repent. And if you do, he says, I'll, I'll bring great blessing to your life. And then, of course, you've got Sardis, the dead church. Uh, there wasn't anything left there. They were just dead or in a doornail. And then, fortunately, you've got a glorious church, a Philadelphia church, the faithful church, uh, brotherly love. Uh, no rebuke came to that church, did it? No, not at all. Uh, Christ had nothing bad to say about them. Do you think he'd find one like that today in America? <laughs> well, compared to the other churches, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> I think you mean God grades on the curve? <laughs> I think there are some good churches uh, that are there today that are loving God and are doing their best to serve Him with pure hearts. And, yeah. Uh, but on the whole, Chuck, I think the, the specifically the Western Church, the American Church, uh, we've drifted into self help self help seminars and, mm. and entertainment venues. And A. W. Tozer famously said, "We're entertaining the goats instead of feeding the sheep." And I think there's a lot of that going. Well, on. he also so said that prayer is no substitute for obedience. That's right. Yes, absolutely. So we'd rather so pray than obey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-mm-mm. Laodicea. Oh, my goodness. Uh, dare we even talk about Laodicea? Do uh, you know it's interesting? Uh, people might be offended by this, but uh, about seven years ago, uh, Vladimir Putin came out and declared that Russia had became become the moral uh, center of the world, that America had become the debaucherous center of the world and was leading the world into total wickedness. And uh, now Vladimir Putin says, we're not going to let the, the West come in and destroy Russia. We're going to protect it. 
So they pass laws against the practice of homosexuality and so on. So where does that put America and American Christians and where does that put us with regard to God's viewpoint? Well, I think we're under God's abandonment wrath, to be honest with you. I think that Romans chapter 1 is fairly clear, what's very clear about Mm -hmm. where we are as a country. Uh, We have uh, cast God off as creator. Uh, We've told him he can't create the world. He can't be our our creator. We're not accountable to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have uh, gone off into debauchery and depravity and sexual immorality and lesbianism and homosexuality and that type of thing. It gets to the point where God basically three times in that passage says God gave them over uh, which is a, a judicial uh, reckoning, basically saying, I'm going to hand you over and let, let you just go your own way. And so uh, that's a part of God's abandonment wrath, and I, I think America is suffering under that wrath right now. I agree with you. In other words, the wrath of man. And we haven't been raptured out of here yet. And it's getting worse. <laughs> and Band-Aids aren't going to do any good. So uh, the message is repent, isn't it? Well, it is. It's the message is to repent and return mm-hmm. for believers, uh, yeah. for unbelievers, is to repent, just simply repent right. and come to Christ for salvation. Return unto me and I will return unto you, God said through the prophet Malachi to Israel in the days of their rebellion, Malachi chapter 2. He said, if I be a father, where's my honor? How come you're divorcing your spouses with impunity? Three times God called the divorcing of their spouses treachery. Read it in Malachi chapter 3. Today we call it a blessing from God and an answer to prayer. Think about it. Think about it, my friends. Because there's a throne appearance coming. A throne appearance And when you appear before the throne, it's not going to be King Charles III of Britain who changes his mind about this, that, or the other, depending on which way the wind is blowing. It's going to be before the God of creation and history. We're going to talk about that in the final segment of the program here today. You're listening to Viewpoint. Viewpoint determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints, friends. And uh, what our... Yes, Jeff Kinley has done in this book is so clearly and succinctly and simply laid out a pattern that uh, should grip our minds and our hearts, cause us to refocus and to set our hope on the grand finale. $14 is going to put this $18 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. 
incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. There's so much of the book of Revelation that is revelatory. It's unveiling. It's unveiling the heart, the mind, the purposes of God, and uh, the final role of Jesus in his coming, and uh, what's going to precede that coming. All of this is laid forth in such uh, simplicity uh, by our guest, Jeff, Jeff Kinley, in his book, God's Grand Finale. And uh, right in the middle of the book, starting in chapter 11, going from 11 to 14, are three very interesting chapters. And I don't want to spend all of our time uh, there, Jeff, because I want to reserve, maybe we can spend five minutes there. Uh, But it talks about two great witnesses in chapter 11. And uh, they're going to be raised up by God, to confront the world uh, with their wickedness and righteousness, unrighteousness and so on. And the world's going to hate them with a purple passion, going to seek to destroy them, and God will protect them. And after three and a half years, he's going to remove his protective hand. And the Bible says this in Revelation 11.8. They will be killed, and their bodies will lie in the street, singular, of that city, singular, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. One day I was reading through the scriptures and came to that, and it was like the Holy Spirit shone a laser beam down on that passage. And I said, God, this is the most mysterious thing. I cannot go on until you reveal the implications of this. Out of that came an entire book called Out of Egypt. (laughs) out of egypt is the number one theme of the bible from genesis to revelation is those words occur over 400 times from genesis to revelation and uh god could get the people out of egypt but could never get egypt out of them and so here they are in jerusalem and god says it's the same as egypt and sodom what do you say about that well, Scripture tells us there's going to be, a obviously, a return of the Jews to the land in the last days. We, that's happening right now. That began mm-hmm. happening in Mass in, in the 19th century, and, and that's obviously fulfilled prophecy. It's happening really every day uh, in Israel. But they're going to come back in unbelief, and so they're not going to come back to the Lord until the very end, I believe, of that, that uh, awful time of judgment. But at this time, uh, they are resisting. Uh, the the salvation that God is offering them, and that's why God sends them these two great witnesses. Uh, that calls them the olive trees, the two lampstands. Many mm-hmm. believe they could be Moses and Elijah, kind of representing law and the prophets there uh, for Israel. Who else? Uh, who better to listen to? But than those respected ones. But they're going to come bringing supernatural signs and wonders, and obviously preaching the Messiah. Uh, and I believe that that many will turn to the Lord through uh, their preaching. But as you said, the Antichrist will uh, be given the power to, to kill them at some point, 
and uh, their bodies are going to lie in the streets, but then they're going to be resurrected and, and uh, risen up to heaven. Uh, that, and there's going to be a great revival that takes place as a result of that. So, well, there's going to be a worldwide celebration upon their death. It is. I call it Happy Dead Preacher's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and people are going to send gifts to one another, it says. Uh, and just oh, like, man. You know, think about it. That's what people do. I mean, you know, you take a guy, a, a controversial man for sure, like a Pat Robertson, uh, who just recently passed away. There mm. were celebrations for his death. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, I think you know, regardless of, of where you know we stand on agreeing with some of the things Pat Robertson said, at the same time he was representative of a you know a segment of of the the body of Christ. And so, but guess what? Evil people all over the world they celebrated uh, and mm. said some very vile things. I think it's going to be similar for these guys. They're just glad they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, there's a lot of theory about who these two great witnesses are. We're not going to spend our time figuring it out, but certainly Moses and Elijah sound like good candidates. Uh, Now, we move to Revelation chapter 13, and there we find the beast arising out of the sea and the earth. We find the mark of the beast. Everybody's theorized about that. I wrote a book called Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, but not once in that entire 350-page book did I ever try to allude to the person's name. It's it's a, a fascination that people have, but God hasn't chosen to reveal that. What he has revealed, we don't want to pay any attention to. And, <laughs> and that's what that whole book was about. And uh, so... We're we're in a situation right now where there is going to that that beast empire is rising in front of our eyes. I believe. I would agree with you on that. I, I think that you know we're in an age where global leaders are calling for a one world government. Uh, many other are calling for one person to lead. Yep. Uh, that that one world government and the world is really being groomed for that. I think. Well, the last three popes have called for it. Yeah, as well as King Charles, uh, yep. when he was Prince Charles, and. And others as well. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't know who he is. We don't need to know who he is. In fact, Scripture never tells us to look for Antichrist, but to look for the Christ. And mm-hmm. so we don't really care to know who he is. We just care to know Jesus and make sure that we're prepared for Christ. Okay. And that brings us to, I think, uh, I think it's the last great message uh, to the world that comes in Revelation chapter 14, other than the judgment. There's an angelic message, and it begins like this. Fear God, glorify him, and worship him that made heaven and earth. That's it. In those three things, it actually completely rules out the belief in evolution, because you cannot worship him that made heaven and earth if you believe in evolution. You can't do it. It's impossible. So we are to fear God. That's the first thing. How many Christians rebel against that idea? I have had on this program over the past eight years or so, I've asked many a pastor and parachurch leader, when was the last time you ever heard the phrase, a God-fearing man? Have you heard it in the last 30 years? Not one could could say they remembered it. 
that used to be the premier indicia in America of somebody whose word you could trust. They were a God-fearing man. But the whole idea of the fear of God today is anathema in the church. We want to love God, we just don't want to fear him. That's why we're so disobedient, I think. So this angelic message pierced to the very heart in a very simple way to everything that is contrary to the kingdom of God, the will of God, the word of God, came in a simple angelic message, fear God, give him glory, and worship him that made heaven and earth. The reason I'm doing this like this uh, is because we have so much here, and I want to kind of synthesize this. Now we want to go to the court of appeals or no appeal. There's a final judgment. Jesus is coming. There's hope at the end of the tunnel. It's the grand finale, but the grand finale is grand in two different ways, isn't it? Horror and hope. Tell us about those two. Yeah, well, the horror comes from those who are who are in hell at this moment and who will be cast in hell after the second coming. And uh, after the, the kingdom, the millennial kingdom of Christ, the Bible says that there's a great white throne, there's an appearance in God's courtroom, that every single person who's ever rejected Christ will stand before him. It says books will be opened and the book of life. And if your name's not in the book of life, it says that you are cast into uh, the lake of fire, the second death. And uh, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was cast in the lake of fire, verse 15 says. And you know, That's a horrible thing. It, it, it's really the, the blackest thought that a person could have would be to think about his eternal destiny in the lake of fire. And so that, to me, says a, a thinking person, someone who is uh, considering the evidence, ought to really consider that. Mm. If that's your destiny, uh, it'd be a great opportunity if the judge offers you now ahead of time mm-hmm. the ability, clemency uh, the clemency yeah <laughs> to have your record expunged to be completely expunged from sin that uh, he will remember it against us no more exactly mm-hmm. I mean, it's the deal of a lifetime uh, it's the deal uh, of a lifetime and uh that's the great hope that we have in fact the apostle the same apostle john that penned the book of Revelation also penned 1 John, where he says, whoever has that hope of the second coming of Christ and redemption, whoever has that legitimate hope in him will purify himself even as Christ is pure. I don't find that to be a message in our churches today. Why? Well, people don't want to don't want to think about the future. They don't want to purify themselves and get ready for the Lord's return. But that's you know, as you said, Revelation ends on a message of hope. It ends by with giving an invitation, saying, "Look, I'm calling you to salvation." Uh, it says in Revelation twenty two seventeen, "The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the one who hears uh, come, yeah. and let the one who's thirsty come." So it's a it take the water of life without cost. Jesus already paid the cost. We just need to come and to uh, make ourselves ourselves ready for that and available to that. And, you know, again, avoiding the horror, you get the hope. So you're trading in dirt, but you're getting diamonds in return. Isn't that and, a beautiful yeah. picture? The problem is that today we just don't hear preaching 
about walking in purity and holiness. The same Apostle Paul that talks about being saved by grace through faith also says, look, Christ is not coming back for a bride with spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. So it's not just a matter of making a confession. Words are cheap. A life has to follow the words, doesn't it? Well, it does. That was James' point, is that the faith, uh, I love what Adrian Rogers used to say, he said the faith that fizzles before the finish had a fault from the start, you know? <laughs> and the idea... I, I loved Adrian Rogers' gravelly voice. One time yeah, exactly. he one time he accounted me at the NRB in the men's room, and he said, Chuck, I think that tie is too worldly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Adrian Rogers. Wonderful guy. So, yeah, I mean, the, the truth is right there in Scripture is that true faith produces uh, true works, and our works are evidence of our faith. They don't save us, obviously, but they're certainly evidence of our faith. And, uh, and God certainly wants us to do more than just say words or say that we believe. The demons believe, and yet they tremble. Yeah. Well, it's even James said faith without the works of faith is dead. It's a pretense. Uh, it, it isn't real. Right. Dead faith. Okay. Now, uh, we have to look at the other aspect of this. And this is something that isn't pleasant to look at, but we must... Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached that famous sermon that launched the first great awakening, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and he actually just read that uh, sermon, Mm -hmm. uh, but the Holy Spirit moved upon the words, and people were gripped as if they were on the edge of uh, eternity. But a few years ago, an evangelical pastor was interviewed by the Los Angeles Times concerning hell. And he was asked, well, do you believe in hell today? And the pastor said, yes. And so the interviewer said, well, do you preach about it? And the pastor said, no, hell isn't sexy anymore. What say you? Hmm. Well, I don't think any doctrine is really sexy. uh, (laughs) It's the truth, and and pastors are called to preach the whole counsel of God. So there you go. Jeff, you've done a masterful job in this book. I just wish we could go through it point by point by point. Uh, But people could do that by getting a hold of it. It's an $18 book. Here's for $14, friends. God's grand finale. It is a grand finale. Get ready. People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be coming home. All right, $14 on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Ready to check at $5 for postage and handling. And become a partner, friends. We're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 